0: Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Oliver Retzloff. Hey, Oliver. Hi. How you doing? Good. We're so excited to have this opportunity to visit with you in your flower garden, your flower farm, Wild Nectar Farm.
1: Well, we're really excited to have you guys and show you around and talk a little bit about flowers. Yeah, it's going to be great. Oliver Retzloff was born and raised in Boulder
0: County, Colorado, not far from where the farm is located. He grew up on an organic farm where his family grew vegetables and fruit and raised chickens, rabbits, and horses. He graduated from SAE Expression College in California with a Bachelor of Science in Sound Arts. Oliver is a farmer, floral designer, foodie, and artist, and his life goals are to help cultivate love, happiness, and peace on earth. He and his husband Eric moved to the farmstead in 2013 and for the past nine years have been stewards of the land working to rehabilitate, rebuild, and regenerate the diverse microcosmic ecosystem that has blossomed into Wild Nectar Farm. Their focus is regenerative agriculture, utilizing organic and biodynamic methods and building biodiverse habitat for native pollinators, birds, and insects. In addition to growing specialty cut flowers and herbs, they also grow organic vegetables and medicinal herbs, raise organic chickens for eggs and hogs for meat, and also keep honeybees. Wild Nectar Farm offers floral design services for home, business, and special events like weddings. That's and Ollie, right. you know, I uh, uh, am living and working on a very close by farm, Elk Run Farm, and there's this kind of cluster of wonderful regenerative farms right here in this part of the county. Uh, that do a lot of collaborating mm-hmm. and also a lot of gathering and celebrating potlucks, etc. And yep. it's been such a joy coming here over the summer and observing the wild riot of <laughs> colors uh, that you've got going in your flower garden. Mm-hmm. I just let's let's maybe kick it off. I'll ask you what what is it about color that attracts you to growing flowers, and and how how does working with color figure into the work that you're doing
1: um you know for me i think the color for me evokes like feelings um and emotions and um you know not to say that uh growing vegetables doesn't have a similar reward but there's just an innate beauty with flowers um and being able to cultivate color and beauty and that whole sort of um, process as an artist for me is really fulfilling. Um, And it also beautifies the landscapes that we live in. And um, that was one of the things that really drew me into growing flowers um, was that, you know, in addition to providing food for pollinators and things like that we we are literally beautifying the space that we live in while we're cultivating so i don't know that's
0: i i love it and and as you know i i paint i enjoy painting Mm -hmm. for fun and playing with color and it's uh it's such a joy and you know so many of our our friends and colleagues who are engaged in really important work in the sustainability arena Mm -hmm. in the regeneration and stewardship arenas I find are often you know pretty focused on technical issues and solutions and, and thank goodness a lot of the work that needs to be done and it that is being done is very technical but at the same time to me when i really step back and reflect on what what's this whole movement all about what comes to mind for me is aesthetics mm-hmm. and and really if if we're living in a way that is Good for the planet and good for people in our communities. It seems to me that almost as a necessary outcome, almost as a default, mm-hmm. the places where we're uh, cohabiting are necessarily going to be more beautiful. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, I know that you're bringing a lot of beauty <coughs> to people. Uh, you know what? What's that like? It's like when you're showing up with bouquets for events and stuff. It's like you're literally delivering beauty from a truck.
1: I, I think it's. It's the most rewarding aspect of growing flowers for me is when I show up to the florist or to an event with flowers, like you said, um, or even just have people out to the farm and we're walking around and looking at the flowers in the cooler. There's just, there's something, um, that it, I mean, it's just, um, it's like I don't really even have to do anything, you know what I mean? I like, there, there's so much magic there and there's, um, it evokes so much feeling for people that, um, you know, I just, I feel like the second wheel, you know, to the flowers, you know what I mean? Like, it's great that people are excited to see me, but I know they're really excited to see the flowers.
0: <laughs> well I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna beg the difference say it's probably uh, a both ends. but you know, um, yeah the the flowers are but yeah are extraordinary. When when and
1: when the gals at the flower shop say to me that this is their favorite time of the week or I just made their day or whatever it is, you know that to me is makes it all all the hard work and um, and everything totally worth it.
0: Yeah. I'm also struck by the Movement that we're seeing with more and more folks, you know, getting back to the land Mm -hmm. and figuring out really creative and innovative ways to earn livings working with the land and and growing a variety of foods, medicines and, and flowers from the land. What, what's it like for you as a small business owner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, making a living doing this work? How, how easy or hard is it? Is it something you anticipate we'll see
1: more and more of around the country and around the world? Well, I hope we do. I hope that more people can start growing flowers on a small scale. Because the global flower industry is, um, It's horrible. There's so many chemicals and pesticides used in contained areas that people literally have to wear these like suits that can't, the chemicals can't burn through that they're putting on the plants. And then we're flying them in airplanes all over the world. Um, So the carbon footprint alone on the global flower industry is out of control. so i'm hoping that more and more people um get into growing flowers on a smaller scale because it um at least the demand where we are in boulder county um i'd say there's at least a hundred flower shops that are looking to buy locally so there's definitely there's market out there for local flowers um but it is hard work and i think um you know, it's not something that happens overnight. Um, but you can start small, you know, and really sort of hone in on what you're good at and what works in your area and um, and kind of go from there. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have um, a community of people who are in the flower industry. And so that provides a outlet for me um, that you know i think that would probably be the most difficult aspect of mm. of getting into the market is just that um you know finding a lane and and um because there's so many florists to work with but you know like i said there's a lot of them out there and i think there's definitely room for people to get on board yeah and, uh, with flower farming.
0: I, I love you know looking at different aspects of regenerative economics and Mm -hmm. and regional uh, economics as we're relocalizing our uh, supply chains and our connections with soil and with water and it's it's all about relationships Mm -hmm. right and and not only knowing the land and the plants that you're working with but also knowing the the people who have a bunch of small businesses themselves Mm -hmm. in general that are. Mm helping get these beautiful flowers out there. And I'm wondering, like, give us a sense of your, your kind of customer mix that you have Mm -hmm. flower shops and then you also do special events like Mm -hmm. weddings. Like how, did what, like what's the, we don't have to be, you know, precise with percentages, but what's kind of the the balance there for you through the year?
1: So most of our business is wholesale. We sell Mm -hmm. mostly to local florists and then We have a few accounts where we do weekly arrangements for, um, a couple businesses. Um, we do, um, I'd say a half dozen weddings in a season, um, that are very specific and tailored towards kind of our aesthetic. And then, um, we've been doing a small CSA flower share. Um, but you know ideally for me i would just stick to wholesale Mm. you know i do enjoy doing one-off floral design and and the wedding thing but um in terms of focus time and energy and output and input i think you know wholesale for us is the is the best um and i do want to mention like there are there is a great um group the um Colorado Flower Collective, mm, cool. Which is down. I think they're in Arvada now, but um, it's open to small flower farmers, and um, you know they there is a little bit of profit share there with the collective, but it provides an opportunity for for farmers that don't necessarily have an outlet like we do, where they could take all their flowers down to the collective once a week, and then designers and florists um and other wholesalers can shop from the collective mm. and so it provides mm. an outlet um for those farmers which is really cool that's
0: amazing so yeah. I'm, I'm almost you know i grew up my early years around uh, the seattle area and mm-hmm. almost picturing something kind of like a pike's place market where yeah essentially you've got yeah all this beauty to look mm-hmm. at just walking around is is yeah. an
1: experience yeah Huh. And it's really cool because, you know, not everybody grows everything and not everybody grows the same thing. So there's a really cool assortment of unusual things that you can find um, that you don't get at some of the more commercial wholesalers. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, mm-hmm. and, and look, right behind us, we set up the, the video shot so that uh, our audience could see a bit of the beauty that's here. And a little later, we'll we'll do a walk around and look at a few of the other... Species and shots that are here at the farm, but uh, I understand that you're, you're growing a lot of varieties of flowers, mm-hmm. including dahlias, zinnias, cosmos, marigolds, and snapdragons. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of dive into talking about the flowers themselves, the species, and mm-hmm. um, the ways each is unique. Mm-hmm. And uh, where where do you want to start with that list?
1: Holy cow! Well, let's start with dahlias. Great. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Um, And and we've got some... (laughs) We do. We have a a nice little bucket of dahlias here. Lovely. With some different varieties of dahlias. But um, dahlias are, I think, many people's favorite flower. I wouldn't venture to guess. Um, They're amazing. They sort of take the cake in terms of Um, all the attributes of flowers. I tend to think of them as like the unicorn of flowers, um, because they're just so magical. Like this one, this one's literally sparkling, (laughs) like it's got little diamonds in it. Like, anyways,
0: I I was looking at it earlier. You're showing me in the sunlight. I don't know if the camera's picking it up, but it it really is. It's insane. Sparkly. Like it's got fairy dust on it.
1: So there's, there's about 42 um different varieties huh. of dahlias wow. um species of dahlias i guess you could say huh. and over fifty thousand cultivars um, oh. which is insane when you think about it yeah um there's a lot of um hybridizing and people creating new and fun dahlias which is i think is why there are so many of them <laughs> um, but it's kind of incredible. Um, they, you know, in a in our zone, which I think is five B, we they're not perennial here. So we have to um, once the frost comes, we have to dig up all the tubers and divide them and package them and store them over the winter. Um, so that we can then replant them again in the spring. So it's definitely um, there's definitely a lot of work involved, but they're incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of um, um, selling dahlias, they're uh, they're a high dollar flower. So
0: <laughs> yeah, how much do you fetch for, for each one? They're worth
1: it. I. Um, anywhere from three to five dollars a stem depending on is
0: that wholesale
1: or that's wholesale
0: oh that's amazing yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I okay. know.
1: so yeah so this is a it's a cash crop this is in a, this is a wholesale I would sell this dahlia for for five dollars yeah that's um, remarkable you know but you have to think of all the time and energy that went into growing that that one flower um, yeah. I think some people would beg to differ at that. Um, you know, but, um, we try to just, um, we try to be in line with wholesale in terms of our pricing, mm-hmm. um, because that's kind of the market we work in. I think there's, uh, some discrepancies in terms of what, f- uh, farm f- fresh flowers can fetch, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. at like a farmer's market versus a wholesaler, which is why we focus more on the wholesale because we can somehow fetch a higher dollar for
0: that's really interesting yeah Yeah, really interesting well and so when you're what when do you dig up the tubers and when you're storing them over Mm -hmm. winter is it like a root cellar or is it refrigerated like what's that storage like
1: um it's it's either like in a crawl space or Mm -hmm. in a garage that stays about you know 42 to 50 degrees
0: okay um so like a root cellar like a root cellar yeah okay yeah
1: and you just want to keep we package ours um in coconut core and some peat um <laughs> and then we keep them in plastic bags which helps to retain some moisture people use wood chips or paper bags or things but i think because we have such a dry climate it helps to have a little bit more um it helps to hold the moisture a little bit more. Makes sense. Um, so they don't shrivel up over the winter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, initially we purchase, we don't start our dahlias from seed. Initially, I purchased tubers, which is how mm-hmm. they how they grow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think you spend between 4 to $12 per tuber. But once you plant them and you dig them up, that one tuber becomes eight to ten viable tubers that over mm. that growing season so mm. um, it takes a little bit of initial investment with dahlias if you don't want to start them from seed um, but they multiply so quickly that it's definitely I mean you can make your investment back you know one season mm.
0: um, on the, the tubers are they easy to start from seed and do they do they start true is that the terminology like when dealing with apples I know for example a lot of the seeds mm-hmm. don't necessarily produce the same kind of fruit ultimately that, that the seed comes from right
1: I haven't had a lot of success starting them from seed mm-hmm. um, I just feel like it's such a t- that's such a tender stage that the, the sprout that comes from an existing tuber seems to be a little bit more having more integrity and you know um, flourish more. Um, but that's not to say that you can't do it. And a lot of times, um, if you, some farmers are sp- actually sprouting the tubers after they've divided them in the spring, mm. and they will cut the little shoots off of those and propagate those to create more tubers. And I tend to think that that's um, a, a more viable way of doing it, is mm. to mm. take some some cuttings and root them that way so
0: very interesting yeah well I did a little research ahead of our discussion Ollie and and I found out that dahlia is actually the national flower of Mexico it's Uh also the official flower of both San Francisco and Seattle as Mm -hmm. cities and uh, the Aztecs (laughs) use the tubers as a substitute for potato and a transport water when they're traveling over over land Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also a natural sweetener which uh mm. i i didn't know that's I didn't know that. really interesting do no. you ever do you ever
1: eat the tubers? We, no we've never tried to eat the tubers huh. um but they are remarkably like a sweet potato
0: <laughs>
1: or a yam in that sense um we mostly just use the petals for you know decoration on food and things like that and are the um, petals we, edible? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: They're not particularly delicious by okay. any means, but… <laughs> but they're beautiful. Yeah. They make the plate really beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, they also… Um, I think similar to the Aztecs, they… Um, it's a big part of Oaxacan cuisine um, in Mexico still. Okay. They're still eating dahlia tubers. Interesting. Which is really
0: cool. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. And then um, let's maybe talk a little about uh, zinnias. Tell us about them. What, what's great about zinnias? Um,
1: zinnias are probably one of the easiest cut flowers to grow. Um, it doesn't take much to germinate the seeds. Um, they love the heat. So um, in, a, in our climate, in a place like Colorado, um, they thrive. Um, and they just keep coming the more you cut them. Um, oh, wow. You know, similar to dahlias, um, I think it's a it's hard for people to, you know, they have a and I did initially too. I had a hard time cutting the flowers because they're so beautiful and you want to enjoy them. Um, but the plants do so much better over a season if they're being cut and continually regenerating and creating a, a bigger root ball and and things. So. Um, one of our rules of thumb, or one of my rules of thumb, when I'm looking out on the field is, I don't want to see any flowers. You know what I mean? I know that I've done a good job for the day. If there's n- if there's no flowers in the field, and they're all in the cooler. Huh. If I look out there, like a day like today, and I see all these flowers. Um, you got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do. You know <laughs> what I mean? It is the weekend while and, we're recording this. Yeah. Day. And I feel like literally within like, like a span of hours they can be past their prime and you know so um but zinnias are um they're great they come in all sorts of colors um and shapes um and i think you can eat some varieties i wouldn't recommend people to try eating them unless they do some research um but uh, I think they're, if you're thinking about starting a small cutting garden or like a, you know, first flower to try to grow from seed, I would de- definitely recommend starting with zinnias. Zinnias, okay,
0: cool. Yeah. You know, this this really interesting point that you hit on about sort of the more, you the harvest, the more that the plant produces, mm-hmm. to me, it, it really gets at this deep, beautiful, philosophical, maybe even spiritual core of, How Mama Gaia, how Mother Nature really works, Mm -hmm. and you know, I was just talking with my friend John Perkins the other day, who wrote um, the the well-known book *Confessions of an Economic Mm -hmm. Hitman* and *Touching the Jaguar*, his more recent book, and you know, he distinguishes between what he calls the death economy and the life economy, Mm -hmm. and you know, in the death economy mindset, which is where a lot of our sort of industrial uh, impacts on the planet come from when we, when we you know, pump oil out of the ground or mm-hmm. we dig coal out of the ground or some other ore or metal out of the ground, um, it's depleted. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not replenishing in any kind of time scale that is of any you know, meaningful import to humanity. Right. Whereas when we're working in a regenerative relationship with the living Critters, the living creatures of the biosphere, like these amazing flowers. Mm-hmm. There's there's this super abundance that keeps giving and giving and giving, powered by the uh, beautiful thermonuclear uh, power plant that we all share, called the sun, um, and and the brilliant uh, light coming from the sun, mm-hmm. and of course the soil and the water. Uh, but it's it's such a beautiful, uh, energetic to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with on the daily. This is, this is your livelihood.
1: I know it is a really awesome job to have. Um, And, you know, in addition to just the beauty, I mean, the, um, the diversity of bugs and um, pollinators and birds and things that just seem to habitate here because they it's like the perfect little zone for them. I mean, it, 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 we're in awe. I mean, to be able to be like working in a flower field and have like a hummingbird come and just kind of sing a song and some butterflies fly by and, you know, some like golden dragonfly. I mean, it's just, it's very magical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it <laughs> makes it extremely rewarding. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's not something that I set out to, to do really. It's something huh. that just kind of, came to fruition um, out of a need to, um, you know, create more abundance in our life. Mm. Um, and to, to find a relationship with the land that could actually um, be mutually beneficial. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredible. I think, um, I think nature has a remarkable way of um, providing for us if they feel the love, so to speak. Like, you know, we moved out here to this land that was like degraded and um, malnourished um, and kind of forgotten in a sense. It was still here. I mean, all the trees were here and um some of the grass and stuff but like it just felt really like stagnant and um kind of dead to Mm -hmm. be honest and the more time and energy that eric and i spend here and um that we work to give back i feel like the land like perked up once they realized that oh these people are into this like these are stewards they're gonna like you know they're players we want on the team kind of thing and i feel like um i mean it's a lot of work but i feel like there's also a lot of ease in what we do here because everything's working together um yeah in great symmetry and so
0: it's so beautiful it's it's and i i I have to mention that 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 love and relationship with the living biosphere and with mama gaia and with the creatures is this core theme in my my new novel, Viriditas, and I hope if folks in our audience haven't yet checked this out that you will. You can go to viriditasbook.com, V-I-R-I-D-I-T-A-S book.com, and uh, get your printed copy or or e-book copy if you prefer, and on the cover, which my son Hunter designed uh, along with our buddy Jake, a graphic designer I've worked with a long time. Um, the cover has this binary code underlined under the word Vriditas, which is actually binary for the word love mm. and uh, I don't want to give too much away about the story and its crescendo but um, there is a, a really important thread and theme running through the tapestry of the story that is about love not only love for ourselves and for each other mm-hmm. but also especially love for the environment that that we live in and Mm. the soil the creatures the water and and mama gaia herself our our shared planet Mm -hmm. um so i just yeah i love that uh (laughs) that that you're speaking to that and that you've actually had that direct experience here on this land and uh yeah a lot of us familiar with this particular area in rural boulder county know that a lot of the lands right around here are actually uh severely degraded and e- even desertifying act we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of desertification occurring and it seems to be on those plots and properties where folks are giving that love and attention and, and using some of the regenerative stewardship mm-hmm. techniques that that it's far this is far from a desert right here i mean this right. is so abundant and alive and, and biodiverse mm-hmm. and uh by golly if and as when and as millions of us are doing this kind of thing all around the world we're gonna we're gonna heal up and clean up so many of the otherwise intractable systemic challenges Mm -hmm. that we're facing so i just i'm so thrilled all of you that that you're sharing this with us Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's not like this takes thousands of acres right this is this is a, a a beautiful and precious bit of land but it's not a, a massive mm-hmm. amount of land
1: that you're working with with
0: these flowers
1: Yep, and you can grow so you can grow an insane amount of flowers in a small space like if mm. you I mean even 25 feet by 25 feet I mean I feel like you could grow you know um, enough for yourself and your neighbors and the bees and the butterflies and you know it doesn't have to be rows upon rows and acres upon acres it's really just start with a pollinator garden, that's what we did. You know, we decided that um, we wanted to bring more like pollinators and life to the farm. And so the first thing we did was just find a bunch of um, mostly native perennials that are pollinator friendly. And that was the first thing we did. And that's been like so rewarding in terms of the biodiversity and the beauty and um I feel like just kind of like it it ignited the whole system so absolutely and maybe for some
0: of our newer audience who aren't quite as familiar yet with the importance of the pollinator gardens uh you know because we've been effectively waging chemical warfare all around the planet for about a 100 years now calling it agriculture right most of the world's major food and flower production Mm -hmm. has been very chemical intensive we've effectively uh, killed off so many of the important insects and other species and especially the pollinators and of course we completely depend on pollinators for so much of our food and lives as human beings and so wherever we can uh, grow pollinator gardens and not use those chemicals, those dangerous toxic chemicals, Mm -hmm. we are helping uh, reverse that trend and and heal up the uh, ecology of the whole planet basically as a result.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and there's definitely like, you know, um, there's plants that we can plant in companion with other plants that do the same thing that some of these chemicals are doing, Mm. um, in terms of some pest management, um, and you know, the biology in the soil and all those things. So, you know, if you can plant some marigolds around, you know, your house or in your vegetable garden or things like that, that'll just help to, um, bring pollinators, but also fend off some of those other pests that, you know, aren't attracted to the smell or the, uh, the oil of the marigold and things like that. So, um, you know, I think for us, the beginning of the season was tough because we've had like an unprecedented amount of, um, grasshoppers. Hmm. Um, and I think it was because of all the heat and the warm temperatures that we had in April, I feel like they got a head start in terms of um, the eggs and everything. So early on, it was like apparent that like, we were gonna have like devastating amounts of grasshoppers. And I know some of our friends out in East County and a little bit further east of here, um, I mean, they had whole plots of land decimated by these things Mm -hmm. um and i was really quick to like start looking into some natural things that i could use like neem and some other things to try to maybe get a hold of them quicker and get ahead of it um but the more research i did um you know regardless of what they say are safe for pollinators even neem they were saying don't don't apply within three hours of there being any pollinators around. And so to me that was saying, well, there's so many other things we're going to eradicate just to try to get a a hold of these grasshoppers. Yeah. So, you know, I just decided to like have faith in the system and, Mm. and hope and pray that there was going to be another um, entity that came in that was going to like help with the the management of it. Like everything was going to be in, in, working in conjunction with each other. And so we didn't treat anything. And while we've had a ton of grasshoppers and we have to do some things like put these bags on the dahlias, um, there's other things at play. I've noticed a bunch more wasps, um, on the things that are preying on, that are preying on the, uh, grasshoppers. And it's, it's reaffirming to me that if you just let nature do its thing, like the less you mess with it and you give it the opportunity to just do what it's been doing forever, um, it's, you know, it's going to find its way. It's all going to work out. I think it's hard for us because we want to control everything. And when it's when it's your business and it's your livelihood, you're like, well, you know, I can't take a chance like that. But the thought of killing off bees and wasps and flies and butterflies just to get rid of some grasshoppers just didn't feel right. So, um, yeah, I think the the more we can just like watch and listen (laughs) Mm. um, and let nature do its thing, you know, the more it's, we're both gonna benefit from it.
0: I love it. I love this phrase, the less you mess with nature. I think we might put that into the the show notes. And, you know, speaking of watching and listening, right, and and, and trusting in the intelligence of nature, Mm -hmm. I found out zinnias actually have been used by Navajo and Pueblo peoples. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently Pueblo peoples will feed the blossoms to their children believing that they'll make the children's more intelligent and wow. more eloquent. Well, there you um, go. So that's very interesting. It's also- Eat more zinnias. Noted that, uh, yeah, zinnias have antioxidant, <clears throat> antifungal and other health benefits. Um, and then Incredible. you already, you mentioned marigolds. And mm-hmm. yeah, when we were recording over at Elk Run Farm with uh, our uh, sister organization, Drylands Agroecology Research with Nick Domenico, he spoke about how he'll put marigolds at the end of each of the uh, rows of the food crops that he's growing, the Mm -hmm. veggies and leafy greens and so on. And um, yeah, apparently the marigolds also known as calendula um, have been used at least since Greek and Roman times. And uh, there's a lot of um, value to use the calendula and the marigolds in cosmetics Mm -hmm. and lotions and so on. And I'm wondering, when you're growing the marigolds, are you also using them for those kinds of purposes as well? Mm-hmm. Like, are, are you making yeah. salves or balms or anything we, like that? We
1: don't personally use them for cosmetics, but we have some herbalists that do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We've been selling them to uh, Fed, our local food truck. She's been fermenting them and mm-hmm. using them as one of her ferments um, because they're really delicious when they're fermented. Wow, um, i got to try that. I use them personally for dyeing. I dye ribbons and things with marigolds because they provide a really beautiful golden color. Um, and then they're all, I think they're delicious. So they're, the petals are beautiful on salads. Um, you can make flower sprinkles or if you just dehydrate some petals and keep them in a jar and just, you know, put them on your ice cream or um, and then the, 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 I personally love the smell of marigold leaf. I think it might be maybe too musty for some, but it feels really like medicinal to me. I don't know if there's um, anything specific to that, but it's also just a really nice smell.
0: I love the smell also. And I'll often put some uh, marigold flowers in my herbal tazan, my, mm. my tea, mm-hmm. especially in the wintertime. My herbalist friends, it might have been Brigitte Mars, uh, shared with me that uh, at the winter solstice, right, when we're not seeing a whole lot of the sun, a really beautiful way to sort of energetically get a little more sunshine in, into our bodies is by eating <laughs> or eating or drinking marigold, uh-huh. yeah. I, I love it too. And yeah, of course, um, also known to have anti-inflammatory, yep. antioxidant, mm-hmm. all, hydrating, all kinds of other uh, properties of great benefit to us. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, we want to also make sure we, uh, save some time to talk about the Cosmos and the Snapdragons, and I know we've got a Cosmos, I don't know if you can quite <laughs> see it on camera, but looks like we got a little one right yep, here. Yep, that's right. And, uh, yeah, what's happening, Cosmos, this Greek word that means beauty, right? Yeah. It's, what's happening here?
1: They, um, they're another flower that's easy to grow for cutting. Um, most of the cosmos on the farm are cosmos we planted years ago that just keep seeding. Well wow. I don't actually plant them anymore. Um, but they're beautiful. They're a wildflower. They're, they're native to the Americas and they're, um, I don't know, they're in the sunflower family. To me they're just like, they're bright and beautiful and whimsical and um, yeah. I love them. I love them too. (laughs) Um, and then in terms of like the workhorse of the flower farm, those are definitely snapdragons. Okay. Um, we, I think I, I can't remember. I think we planted maybe 500 snaps this year. And, um, they literally started blooming. I want to say end of May Mm. and they're still blooming. Um, which is incredible when you think about it in terms of, um, the number of times they flush through and the amount of stems you can get off of one plant. Um, and I think they're probably one of my favorite flowers. Um, just in terms of their shape and their texture, you know, they're not one of these sort of like, um, super symmetrical round kind of, flowers that we're very used to in terms of the shape. They're more like, um, phallic. Um,
0: yeah, it's more of a, like a vertical structure, yeah. right? With almost, almost like a pine tree or something yeah. in a way like lots of mm-hmm. smaller flowers coming right. off of
1: that vertical structure. Yeah. I'm looking like at a some cluster over there off yeah. camera. Yeah. Um, and one of the most amazing things that, um, we get to experience here on the farm is the butterfly, or the bumblebees mm. sleeping inside oh my gosh. of the snapdragons. They literally crawl in head first and sleep there. And then once it gets warm enough in the morning, they kind of like wiggle their way out. No way. And That's yeah. so great. We'll, we'll see if we can we'll track down we... a photo to include in yeah. the, uh, in the posting. It's thing. incredible.
0: Um, yeah, and, and I I know the plant is native to the Mediterranean region, um, Morocco, Portugal, southern France, Turkey, Syria, and it's said to it's been it's used to alleviate minor burns, detoxify the blood, mm-hmm. treating um, boils, abscesses, purifying liver, reducing fever. I mean, it goes on and on here. The uh, medicinal properties of these. Uh, snapdragon flowers so what how amazingly like rich and abundant that there are so many uh, healing properties with Mm -hmm. these beautiful flowers and in addition to uh, eating some of them and uh, enjoying their beauty on our dining table I mean the the uses go
1: on and on they're amazing and like I said they have an amazing it's just a in terms of floral design and even in the landscape it's just an, it's an unusual shape, a cool texture. Um, they come in so many vibrant colors and it's almost like they're almost velvety um, in a sense, yeah.
0: I see another vertical over there that um, isn't on our list for discussion, but is that lavender or is that something else I'm looking at, that purple over there? That
1: is Veronica. That's Veronica. Or Speedwell. Okay. Um, which is another amazing flower. Yeah, truly um, beautiful that the bees and the butterflies absolutely love um yeah absolutely wonderful yeah
0: well let me let me uh remind our audience this is the why on earth community podcast i'm your host aaron william perry and today we're visiting at wild nectar farm with oliver retzloff and uh, i want to give a quick shout out to some of our supporters this includes our ambassadors and monthly donors and if you haven't yet uh, joined our ambassador program and you'd like to uh, and if you'd like to join our monthly giving program you can join at any level Um, you can go to whyonearth.org and you'll find information about getting involved that way if you give at certain levels we'll be happy to send you on a monthly basis our hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts by waylay waters one of our social enterprises that we've incubated through the why on earth community want to of course mention the viriditasbook.com website once again v-i-r-i-d-i-t-a-s book.com website and our uh, friends at purium we have this amazing collaborative relationship with the organic superfoods company purium and uh, I've been able to lose some weight this year using the Purium products, feeling great eating eating these organic superfoods every day. And if you're interested and want to get a discount, uh, $50 off or 25%, whichever is greater, on your uh, first purchase, go to whyonearth.org/Purium uh, to get that rolling. And actually, 20% of your purchases on an ongoing basis will. Come back to benefit the nonprofit, the Why on Earth community, and of course, I want to make sure you get to check out Wild Nectar Farm at wildnectarfarm.com. Uh, you can also find uh, them on Facebook at uh, Wild Nectar Farm, and mm-hmm. on other social medias is yep. it the same handle? Same
1: handle on Instagram. Great. I think that's it. We're Great. Not Twittering. I'm yeah. Tweeting
0: great great um and uh yeah and i i thought also that it'd be fun ollie if uh, we wanted to invite eric over and join us on camera for a few minutes to Let's talk try. about some of the regenerative agricultural work that he's doing and uh welcome eric this is over. eric hey Knutsen, a rancher grass farmer and uh uh, leader of animal husbandry efforts here at this farm and also on some other nearby farms and ranches and uh, Eric, it's great uh, having you join us. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, you've been uh, Hanging out off camera. I, you, probably some of our audience looking at the videos that will see our eyes shifting my sweetheart caresses off camera as well over here and uh, Yeah, it's so great to have you join us and you know just earlier today you were out with the horses herding uh, some animals, tell us what was going on earlier.
2: Uh, one of our neighbors here, Caribou Ranch, uh, did some branding today. Their spring calving herd. Uh, we, we got to brand, um, precondition, do some vaccinations. Um, so I, I went down and helped round, every, round up the group and brought them into the area where we work, work the cattle. It was really fun. How, how many head
0: were you working with today?
2: Um, it was a small group, I think. Uh, we branded about 30, 35 calves.
0: Yeah? Yeah. And and you were out horseback, was it, uh, did it take some doing to round them up, or were they?
2: It, not with the dogs. I mean, yeah. really it's the dogs that do most of the work. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. You know, we, we're, we're there um, guiding, but really uh, low stress handling is you know stay far back and you know the dog uh, we had two dogs with us this morning and uh, they keep everybody in the group and keep everybody moving forward
0: that's great yeah, yeah. they're they're incredible mm-hmm. animals and such a joy to be around of course they're protectors also mm-hmm. right of the the farm and the animals other animals living yep, here and uh, yeah eric i know you're also doing a lot of work with other Um, young and emerging farmers and uh, can you tell us just a bit about that organization we might even do a whole other podcast on that but just a a quick synopsis of that work
2: yep so Oliver and I are part of uh, the Flatirons Farmers Coalition uh, formerly known as the Flatirons Young Farmers Coalition okay Uh, we changed we we took out the young just to be more inclusive of our growing community Um, but essentially the mission and, and vision of the nonprofit is to support beginning farmers cool. in their endeavors, uh, and you know that that comes from education. That support uh, has a lot to do with gathering as a community, um, sharing resources, sharing knowledge, and and helping each other grow. I mean, this you know I think a lot of uh, us at, at, in the beginning, it's. It's challenging yeah you know you're out there uh, you work at heart and uh, it, it can be intimidating to be you know quote-unquote alone mm-hmm. or feeling that way sometimes mm-hmm. so you know to gather together uh, and and just acknowledge the experience of what we're doing together and yeah. and, and, uh, and and share that uh, you know i know how it feels <laughs> uh, yeah. it re- yeah. it's, it's been really a privilege to um, share share friendships share community be encouraged uh, you know the camaraderie of a lot of folks starting businesses becoming young entrepreneurs um, and in some of our uh, folks who are more established you know they're still they're still involved and um it's great to spend some time with somebody who's been doing it for ten years. Then you get the people who are doing it for twenty years, thirty years. You know, you're just like, wow, um, to hear some of their stories, their their failures, their successes. Um, it's encouraging. Yeah. You know? yep. So it, uh, yeah, Flatirons Farmers Coalition has been a great, uh, great community for us here in Boulder County. Yeah. That's- I agree. Um, it's nice, like Eric said, to know
1: that we're all in it together. We're all experiencing the same trials and tribulations, and um, and then we know that we have the support of all those people um, with whatever is going on um, on our farm. Um, and it's it, to me, it's really um, inspiring to see. Um, you know, sort of a new generation of, um, farmer coming about. Um, in Boulder County, especially growing up here, um, a lot of this land that isn't open space, and some of the open space, is old family farms, and it feels like a lot of that, that new generation is maybe tired of that, or doesn't necessarily want to carry on the family lineage, in terms of the farm. Um, and so it felt like there was a gap there for a while of like what are we gonna do when all these other farmers that have been doing it forever go away and there can aren't into keeping the farm and keeping it going. Um, so it's been really amazing to see in the last five to seven years I would say a lot more young uh, emerging farms and farmsteads and and people wanting to get involved with ag, so it's awesome that we have a club like the Farmers Coalition. Yeah, and clearly uh, this is a pattern
0: that uh, goes back many, 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 many generations. This pattern of community building, of sharing resources, the camaraderie. I love I love the word courage, courage because it's that root word coeur, the heart. Mm-hmm and to be able to encourage each other is I think one of the absolute keys to uh, a a life Mm well-lived and and to these kind of deeper core themes in the sustainability stewardship regenerative movements Mm -hmm. and kudos to you guys for devoting so much of your time and energy in addition to all the other stuff you're doing Mm and keeping you so busy that you're also mentoring and supporting these uh, these new and emerging farmers that Mm -hmm. way. I mean, that's an incredible service Mm -hmm. to the broader community.
2: Yeah, Yeah. thanks. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd love to do another episode and dive more into, Mm -hmm. you know, what's happening there and and maybe how uh, those kinds of efforts can be learned from and possibly even replicated into other parts of the country and parts of the world Mm -hmm. where where maybe those those uh, bodies and mechanisms aren't quite there yet. Right and uh my gosh so it's it's been so fun to visit with you mm-hmm. both and uh we're gonna i think do a little bit of walk around footage uh to see a few more of the flowers and maybe get some close-ups Yep. and uh before doing that and, and by the way also we'll do our behind the scenes uh, bit for a few minutes okay. for our ambassador mm-hmm. network you got to have the password to access the behind the scenes video that we're recording with more and more of our podcast guests. And this is where we get a little more sort of under the hood, so to speak. Talk a bit about maybe a couple, you know, pain points uh, that have shown up in, in this business or other entrepreneurial efforts. And it's another way we're kind of building and sharing that, that camaraderie and encouragement across space and time with the use of technology and you know just recently interviewing uh my friend richard Hardeman who's in the netherlands with his company um ran marine and their waste shark technology cleaning up plastics out Mm -hmm. of the oceans and so on and just having that chat with him about some of those really tough moments when you're trying to scale these things up you're trying to take something new to market and uh and virtually every entrepreneur uh, and business person has had that experience and knows what that's all about and so i think it's another way we can really help support and encourage each other as we're doing this work and uh, my goodness i was joking before that uh, i know what i want to do when i grow up i'm definitely going to be a flower farmer (laughs) and uh, also sit and paint a little (laughs) bit which i'm excited about but before before we move around and um, do the behind the scenes segment is is there anything you guys would like to say either of you eric maybe i'll i'll give you the floor first and then all you can sure. you can have the final word mm-hmm. for this moment
2: <laughs> gosh uh you know it it's been a privilege to be on this journey with oliver starting uh starting not only you know a farm together but also a ranch together you know one thing leads to the other for me it was like when i discovered animals it was like ah oh, that's the missing piece yeah you know for me in this place um but then also just watching oliver step into his zone of passion and genius with with horticulture and um and having these flowers reflect his um, reflect his passion, reflect his his own uh energy and, and beauty that he brings into the community. Um yeah I couldn't I couldn't be in a better spot. And I'm really, really proud of you. Thanks Aaron. Yeah. You. Um, Thank you. Um yeah I think
1: um I think for me, the most important thing for people who want to get involved in ag um, or even just growing flowers in your backyard is like start slow. There's no, you can't you can't force nature. You can't um, it's not like you just add a little water to this instant mix and then you have this thing. Um, It takes a lot of time and energy, and seasons, and observing, and um, kind of being um, in conjunction with it before um, it really starts to thrive. I think when we force things to happen, um, it, it creates um, like friction, be that, Um, insane bugs and insects or um, uh, weather events or things. I just feel like the more we can step away from um, feeling like we're in control of this, um, the more it's just, the, the more abundance there will be. And so if you're looking to like into flower farming start small like I said find a small little plot that you can just start with and observe and and learn from and then um, once once you know everyone's listening to each other um, I feel like it's I mean there's a lot of work involved but there's there's a uh, an amount of effortlessness that comes with it yeah those would be my parting words (laughs) start small um watch and listen and observe and like just take it one step at a time
0: absolutely beautiful thanks well thank (laughs) you so much for joining our podcast and it's i mean there's there's so much there's so much wisdom in in the words that you've shared with us today and i'm i'm actually really excited after each episode i type up a kind of summary that gets published mm-hmm. along with the uh recording the show notes and i'm I'm so excited to go back through my chicken scratch notes here and tease out some of the pithy words of wisdom that you've <laughs> shared with us today and uh yeah and and thanks uh to our audience for tuning in mm-hmm. this is i think uh, one of the most important glimpses into what the regenerative world the the meta-industrial future looks like Mm -hmm. and uh it's friends like oliver and eric who are helping to make this happen a reality an embodied reality and helping to lead and educate and mentor others and so uh hats off to both of you and thanks Thanks. again for being on the show thanks for having us thank Thank you. you awesome bye everybody bye
3: the Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code YONEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.